So to be on a cumulonimbus cloud, that's to be on the tallest cloud and therefore to be on cloud nine. It's the royalty of the cloud world. Today, I'm talking to Gavin Prater-Pinney. Gavin is founder of the Cloud Appreciation Society, which has over 58,000 members in 120 countries. He is author of the internationally best-selling Cloud Spotter's Guide and Cloud Collector's Handbook, as well as the beautiful coffee table book, A Cloud A Day. Gavin is a winner of the Royal Society Winton Prize for Science Books. He is a TED Global Speaker with over 1.3 million views. He has presented television documentaries for the BBC and Channel 4 and is a visiting fellow at the Meteorology Department of Reading University and winner of the Royal Meteorological Society's Michael Hunt Award. Gavin co-founded The Idler, a magazine that argues for the importance of downtime in creative thinking. Hi, Gavin. I'm so excited to be speaking to you today. I'm a big fan of clouds ever since I did my cloud project at about age five or six. So where are we speaking to you from today? Hi, Mary. Um, I'm from calling from Somerset in England. Lovely. So I'm in Galway and I'm looking out the window and I think I have cumulus cloud cover. So there's a bit of a break here and there. And we've got fluffy white clouds. Looking yeah, it out. depends how big the breaks are. I mean, uh, it could be strata cumulus, which is like cumulus that have joined together into a kind of le- clumpy layer. And how much, whether it's a strata cumulus or a cumulus, it all depends on how big those gaps are. Yeah, there aren't very many gaps. So it's a pretty um, solid cloud cover today. That'll be strata cumulus then, by the looks it's- of, by the sounds of it. Strata cumulus. So Gavin is the cloud man. And I'd just like to read a tiny bit from the manifesto of the Cloud Appreciation Society to start us off. So it says, look up, marvel at the ephemeral beauty and always remember to live with your head in the clouds. So what made you become a cloud advocate? It's a long journey to end up where you end up. And um, I wouldn't say there was one thing, but, uh, you know, I can remember the first time I noticed clouds, which was the first time I really noticed a cloud. And that was when I was very young, maybe four and a half, something like that, being driven to my little school in London with my mum in the back of her mini and looking out the window and seeing there was a cloud in front of the sun, an individual clumpy cloud, it would be a cumulus. I know that now. At the time, it was just this puffy thing in front of the sun with bright edges and those beams of light, uh, like fingers of light uh, radiating out from it. And it caught my attention. And I wondered what, what it was and why it was up there and what it was made of and what it would be like to sit on it and jump on it. And uh, yeah, they're questions that stuck with me through to adulthood, I suppose you could say. And um, the society is something that has evolved out of that early interest. Um, it stayed with me through my life, the, uh, uh, an interest in the sky and the belief that the sky or a feeling that the sky is a beautiful part of nature, one that gets a bad rap some of the time. Um, uh, at least in 
you know, in some countries um, where there are a lot of clouds like <laughs> ours. Um, and so it uh, that interested me, you know, because when you ask someone about clouds, they, they say they like them um, and they sort of think of them as, as dreamy things. They think of them as um, flights of the imagination, the shapes they form and stuff. And yet we like to complain about them in a more collective sense, uh, complain about the fact that they rain on our parades. They don't do what we want to do. That tension is um, is fascinating to me. And I suppose as an adult, it's that type of thing that got me interested in doing something with clouds. Mm. I think children naturally love clouds. Um, there's often clouds painted on the you know, ceiling of children's bedrooms. And you talk about clouds as nature's poetry and the moods of the atmosphere. Um, which I think is absolutely lovely. Do you have a favourite type of cloud? I like different ones for different reasons, but if I had to pick one, maybe um, a lenticularis cloud is a, is a good one. It's named after the Latin for uh, a lentil. Actually, it's the Latin for a small lens shape, but that's what they used to describe lentils, the Romans. So it's a lentil cloud and um, it looks actually often like a UFO flying saucer. This is an intriguing cloud because it's got this sort of smooth lozenge-like or disc-like appearance. It hovers in the air, even in a strong wind, because it forms in a standing wave of air as the wind rises to pass over hills or mountains. In certain conditions, when we're in sort of stable atmospheric conditions, that rising and dipping of the wind in contact with the mountain can kind of propagate up through the atmosphere and cause air higher up to rise and dip. And that air higher up rises and dips where at the point where it rises, it cools, forms a cloud. But that cloud stays stationary in the wind, just like when you have a rock in a stream and the the flow of water over the rock causes a little wave shape to appear slightly downstream from it. The water's rushing along. The shape and position of the wave is fixed. It's the same thing in the sky. And this disc-shaped cloud at the crest of this invisible wave of air hovers in place in the strong winds. So I find it um, intriguing. I like the fact that it looks like something. I like the fact that there's something slightly contradictory and surprising about the way it forms. That's such a beautiful description. And it's interesting the way it stays still in the sky, because I was listening to your TED talk and you were explaining how the cirrus clouds, even though they look like little wisps, are actually um, flying along at tremendous speeds and how some of the clouds are so dynamic. And the pictures you have put up from the Cloud Appreciation Society are so entertaining and so beautiful. Very dramatic one of the sea lion. I'm not sure what type of clouds they were, but they were fabulous. The sea oh, lions looking up. <laughs> oh, gosh, from a while ago. Yes, that's right. Those uh, They were looking up actually at those lenticularis clouds. Sometimes they form as a single disc, but at other times, which is when you get a really dramatic formation of lenticularis you get a whole bunch of different waves forming over different 
peaks of mountains where you have a range of mountains or hills and then you get these different waves of air the waves of air are invisible as i say but they're all reaching their um, crests at different positions and the clouds that form at those crests can sometimes join together in these lozenge-like forms and sometimes have like stacked appearance to them so that it looks like a stack of plates or pancakes um, because the airflow has a moisture layer separated by a dryer with a moisture above and that causes a thicker bit of cloud with a thinner part and you get this appearance of 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 stacked lenticularis i think it was like that the one you're referring to joined together and also stacked up which can look really amazing especially when the sun's low in the sky yes it really is an astounding image and there's lots of wonderful images on your website for the cloud appreciation society and another cool one is what as you said badly named the kelvin helmholtz cloud which looks like a line of waves and then there is another one which you i think the society actually identified and has now been named as a new type of cloud by the World Meteorological Association, Asperitas, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So the World Meteorological Organization did uh, make that an official classification in 2017. And this cloud is another wave cloud. Uh, so you see a lot of waves in the sky, um, thanks to the clouds. The waves are there in the flow of air, but um, most of the time they're invisible. When a cloud happens to be in the right part of the sky, um, or when a cloud is being formed as a result of the rising and dipping of that air flow, that's when the clouds reveal wave shapes. And it's a reminder that the atmosphere can be considered as an ocean, um, as an not a new idea, you know, this uh, idea that the atmosphere is, is an ocean has been uh, described in that way since the 19th century and um, late 19th century, I suppose you'd say, and the, the uh, you know, it's, it's an ocean of gases, but it behaves in many ways like the oceans of water that we're familiar with, and we happen to live on the bed of that ocean. Um, but the clouds can reveal wave formations that uh, appear in it. Some of them are kind of similar to the waves we see on the surface of you know, oceans like the Atlantic. Some of them are slightly different, but um, the two you mentioned there are wave-like forms. Uh, the, the, the one you mentioned at first, the Kelvin Helmholtz, it does now have a new name at the same time as uh, uh, this new classification I'll come to in a minute, the Kelvin Helmholtz cloud uh, got in 2017 given a Latin term so that it was more in keeping with the other ones because everyone had been using this non-Latin term and it looks like it's called fluctus now mm. and it looks like breaking waves each one curling over one after the other. The, your listeners should google it fluctus cloud and uh, it each curl of wave sort of um, has a, a vortex, vortex to it. So it, it looks like a cartoon of breakers coming in at the shore, um, one next to the other. Or maybe it looks like some uh, Greek um, or Roman 
decoration of curling waves around a kind of tiled floor or something like that. Um, so the fluctus cloud is one of these wave form clouds. But the other one you mentioned, the one that got added as a new type in 2017 is the Asperitas. This looks like you're underneath the surface of some water and you're looking up at it, maybe if you're snorkeling. And it's a rough and choppy day on the sea. So the surface of the water above you is wavy, but not in a regular sense of um, waves one next to the other, but in a kind of chaotic, turbulent way, it's wavy. So there is already a term, a very common cloud called undulatus, which is a sort of regular waves of cloud one after the other, like ridges, really, um, parallel ridges that look more like you know, you're looking at the surface of the ocean and uh, a, a swell is coming in from out at sea towards the shore. That's more like the undulatus cloud. Whereas this asperitas, which came from the Cloud Appreciation Society, the idea of this getting a name, it looks chaotic and it looks turbulent and the waves are all messed up and confused and can be really quite dramatic. It's less common than the undulatus which is a common form and uh, it came about because um really some years ago about 10 years ago we got sent some photographs we get sent in cloud photographs from all over the world we have members in 120 countries around the world so you know they're always sending us their photos and we received some from iowa in the states that uh, had this dramatic wave-like appearance, but chaotic and didn't seem like a normal undulatus. We sort of thought that's a, that's a weird cloud. And then every now and then, once it's like you spot a, it's like when you buy a new car and you start seeing those cars around the place the whole time. It was a bit like that. We we'd noticed this cloud formation as being unusual. And then we started noticing them coming in again and again, every now and then, you know, for, then there'd be one from Australia and then we'd see one from Belgium. And then, you know, they'd come in from different places and each time we'd go, oh, there's another of those weird wavy clouds that doesn't quite fit in with the existing terms until eventually we thought, how do you go about coming up with a new name for a cloud? I mean, who's, Who's responsible for saying whether it's official or not? Um, turned out to be the WMO, a UN organization based in Geneva. And the World Meteorological Organization don't do anything in a hurry, um, like all UN organizations, because everyone's got to agree to everything. Uh, so we didn't get too excited about anything changing. But it did eventually, after eight years or so, um, result in the cloud being made as an official type. It's not like a big one in the sense of there are 10 main cloud types and those are the ones you'll have heard of like cumulus or stratus or cumulonimbus the big storm cloud it's more uh, known as a supplementary feature so it's a kind of something that can happen on a patch of one of the big main cloud types um and yeah it's a new one the first new type of cloud to be added new classification to be added since 1953, I think it was, something like that. Oh, well done. That's, that's so cool. Um, I love the way you put it, that we live within the sky, you know, rather than the sky is above us. And so the cloud book had 10 cloud categories, I think. And you were trying to, uh, you mentioned something about cloud nine. What does that mean when we say, oh, we're on cloud nine? Yeah. So, well, I mean, the... 
the book you're referring to there is is the International Cloud Atlas, and that is a book with a long um, history. Uh, it's the official reference work for cloud types, and uh, I think we could say it's not a page turner um, unless you're really quite a kind of nerd of the cloud world because it's really sort of very specific classifications um, and definitions. It's now more of an online uh, present, an online thing rather than a physical book, but it's always in the past, of course, been a physical book. And it was first published in 1896 uh, in three languages, German, French, and English, uh, if I remember rightly. It um, was the first attempt actually to try and get the terms used for describing the sky consistent around the world. And it had early photographs, uh, 1896, early photography, and they hand tinted these early photographs in the first edition of the International Cloud Atlas. And it has it codified or kind of set out the 10 main types. And yeah, as you say, um, one of them, the, the ninth in that list, has led to this term cloud nine, at least that's general belief for the origin of that term. And ninth in the list was the cumulonimbus cloud. That is the storm cloud. It is the one that stretches from low in the sky right up to the top of the part of our atmosphere where weather happens, which is known as the troposphere. Uh, you notice I haven't given you an exact height in miles um, and that's because the height of the troposphere varies whether you're near the in the tropics at near the equator where it's higher maybe 12 miles um, to when you're up near the poles where the troposphere might actually stretch only to about five or six so you know it's hard ever to give strict um, altitudes for clouds because we just judge them as the low middle and high within that region and that region varies around the world and it varies with the season as well the height so anyway this goes right up to the top of that part where clouds form um uh, the cumulonimbus and so it's the tallest cloud so to be on a cumulonimbus cloud that's to be on the tallest cloud and therefore to be on cloud nine it's the royalty of the cloud world um is to be on top of a cumulonimbus much better to be up there than it would be to be down beneath it because this is the storm cloud it produces thunder and lightning sometimes hail heavy downpours um so yeah i mean it's uh you know you inhabit the atmosphere when you're standing beneath one of those you know that you're living within the atmosphere not beneath it because you um yeah you really feel the power of the atmosphere these these clouds these enormous cumulonimbus storm clouds embody the uh, powerful forces that drive our atmosphere and the movements within it. Wow, yes, they are the most dramatic clouds. And I love the information about the troposphere, which I didn't know. So that, that's very, very cool. So have you had any particular profound experience with clouds? Cloud spotting is in my opinion it's quite a kind of personal thing and it's something you do in moments of calm moments of reflection perhaps you're sitting with someone else maybe finding shapes 
but often for me it's a um it's a moment of kind of almost a little bit like meditation. It's not really meditation, but it's contemplation of something that is so ephemeral that it's only there for a moment. That's why seeing a sunrise or a sunset feels special because you know it's not going to be like that again. But it is also so ever-changing. It's a backdrop to human existence which has existed and been there long before we turned up. Um, and so it also feels eternal, even though it's very ephemeral. Um, and so in these, in these senses, you know, I'm not like a, I don't know, it's my style is not sort of to be like a storm chaser so much and go and try and um, capture the most awesome storms. Um, but I have, of course, had um, profound experiences with the sky. I, mean, I guess one would be going to uh, see a cloud in Australia, which was um, something I did many years back. And it involved going to a part of Queensland. Um, and there's a little town on the Gulf Savannah coast in northern Queensland called Burketown. It's a tiny little place, only 180 people live there. At least they did at the time. And it's uh, out in the outback. No, no way you'd normally end up there. Um, certainly not your first trip to Australia, which this was. Um, unless perhaps you were a fisherman, uh, sorry, an angler or a fisherwoman or for a barramundi fish because you know there's the, the the river there is good for fishing other other than that you you wouldn't end up at uh this tiny town of Burkdown unless you were interested in this one cloud and the cloud is a form of roll cloud it's a low horizontal tube and it's got a name it's called the morning glory cloud and it arrives first thing in the morning and it's a roll that's horizontal and travels along and the reason people um go to Burktown to see it is generally because they're pilots they're glider pilots and it's another example of a wave cloud interaction this role of cloud forms within a traveling wave of air so this time it's not stationary it's traveling along and you don't see the kind of wave shape you don't see where the air lifts at the front and sinks at the back you just see this tube in the middle of the wave and it stretches from horizon to horizon it travels along maybe 35 miles an hour something like that so kind of steady drive of a car and you know in 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 a town and uh the interesting thing is that it shows the glider pilots where the air is lifting so if they just stay ahead of this traveling roll of cloud they're in air that's constantly going up and that's what glider pilots dream of because it means they can just do whatever they want and they're always buoyant and they're always flying. They don't have to search around for some thermal that's lifting off the ground. They can just travel up and down the length of this roll of air, this traveling wave of air ahead of the roll of cloud. And they can go at record speeds and record distances. 
Um, so I went to that and I, it was an amazing thing to see. It did turn up. I was there for two weeks, got a bit tense towards the second week when I thought I would have gone all that way and the cloud wasn't going to form. But there's one time of year which is coming up, really. It's a springtime for uh, the Southern Hemisphere, uh, for this part of uh, Australia, end of September, beginning of October. That's when the morning glory clouds tend to appear. And um, so I was lucky in the second week that some came and I could go up in aircraft. Uh, I went up in a little Cessna and filmed the gliders as they were um, cruising up and down, basically surfing, the cloud surfing. Um, and as they did that and then interviewed them afterwards, it was um, it was a fascinating thing to see. And it was an amazing experience because there I was up among these huge, long rolls of clouds stretching. And they stretched the length of the length of Britain. Um, and so that's, you know, hundreds of miles. You can see them on a satellite, this long tube of cloud. And so it's a, a dramatic example of rolled clouds which can form up in other parts of the world. It's just a particularly dramatic example that happens to form at a particular time of year. So you can be fairly likely to see it if you go at that time of year. I would say that was a profound experience for cloud spotting for me. Oh, that sounds so special. And I think we can actually use, use the overused word awesome if anybody actually got to see that. <laughs> I, know. I try and stay away from that word because, yeah, I mean, uh, it, awesome is used for the extremes. Um, so in the natural world, they're often, you know, used for the extreme things. Uh, but actually for me, and I guess that was an a sort of an extreme form of cloud spotting in a way, but for me, the interesting things, the awesome things in inverted commas are the small things. Um, the, the appearance of a, of a cloud, maybe with one of these curls that um, we talked about there, the, the, the fluctus curl might just form one of them on top of a cumulus cloud and you see a little curl form and it's there briefly momentarily before the wind shifts and it breaks up and dissipates you know that's like the opposite of awesome in a way um but it means you're paying attention if you notice something like that and it feels all the more special because maybe you were the only person that noticed it and for me it's those uh quieter aspects of what's going on in nature that are, that are awesome. I think you can find awe in the everyday stuff around you. You don't need to do what I did there, which is kind of travel across the world to find it. In fact, it's much better, much better for your, um, your, your health, your mental health and uh, your well-being to find awesome things to sort of get your mind to relook at what's around you on a daily basis in an everyday sense and look at it like as if you're seeing it afresh as if you were like some alien I remember doing this thinking like this when I was a kid what if I was an alien what would I think of that come down and see it for the first time in a way that's a little bit like how I try to get myself to think about this particular part of nature, clouds, because we're so used to them being there, they've become a bit blind to them. Stop and think about them and look at them as if you're seeing them for the first time. Look at a sunrise. 
as if you're seeing it for the first time. You know, and you might, you know, if you had only saw that once in a generation, people would it would go down in legend. Um, but we see it on an, on a pretty regular basis. I mean, we see it on a daily basis, but a good sunrise you see on a pretty regular basis. Same with the sunset, and so you just get used to it. I just think it's helpful to find the awesome in the everyday if you can. Yeah, I think that's very, very, very sound advice. Those delightful moments that you just need to log. And how you say that cloud spotting is very good for mental health. And, you know, I think the word mindfulness is actually very badly termed as well, because it should really be mindlessness, because we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to get away from this constant shopping list in our mind. And if we can focus on clouds, Um, That's one way of doing it. Um, Recently, it was a very dramatic day with wind and probably just cumulus clouds, you know, flying past. And my my best friend's dog died and she was really struggling, you know, with the dog funeral. (laughs) It was so emotional. And I just sent her a text and said, you know, look up at the look up at the clouds. And she sat and just watched the clouds for a while and was able to calm down and, and find just a moment there. Yeah, I mean, it's an ever-present um, part of nature. I think that's, um, uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, ways and reasons why it's quite a helpful aspect of nature to engage with in that way because, yeah, generally um, it's ever-present. So you don't know what sky is going to be above you. It may be a, a boring sky, maybe a blue sky, you know, you don't know. Um, but often there's something up there to look at also it's one we all share so you know you could have said that to someone uh in the mountains of mongolia uh, and they would have been able to do the same thing um so that universality uh, aspect of it is is helpful and also increasingly i realize it's out of our control that's also an important uh, or rather a valuable element of this as a part of nature to reflect upon because we're so used to being in control. And that's one reason why people complain about the clouds because yeah, you can't say, I've arranged it so that it's not going to rain on our wedding day. Um, of course, you don't want it to rain on your wedding day, but th- that's going to do what it does, isn't it? And um, so that uh, um, idea of them being out of our control is is frustrating and challenging for human beings, um, but it's also a helpful reminder that we're not the center of the universe, um, and the uh, reminder that you know if you do a straightforward meditation or a mindfulness session. You can fit it in when you fit it in. I'm going to do it at 6.30 in the morning and I'm going to do that and then I'm going to go and have my yogurt for breakfast. So you can't do that when you're contemplating the clouds because at 6.30 in the morning, just when everything's just ready for it, there's nothing to look at (laughs) or, you know, it's it's pouring with rain or whatever it is. You have to be willing to embrace it and go with it when it happens. And it'll happen. Something interesting or beautiful will happen in the sky when you're in the middle of something else, when you're in a rush to get somewhere, when you're driving, when you're doing something else. So it's about being prepared to step out of the emergency every day, you know, not emergency, I guess, but the kind of urgent got to do this list 
for a moment and go, okay, actually, it's better for me to just take a moment here and step away from things that I need to do and just be in the present and just see this thing that's happening. Let it go and move on. Would you like to point the listeners in the direction of the website or, or is there anything else you'd like to say? Well, I mean, becoming a member of the Cloud Appreciation Society means you get a cloud a day. It's an email that arrives each morning, no links in it, no uh, go here to find out more, no promotions of anything. It's just a pure bit of content. It's an image and a little paragraph. And the image is generally of a photograph of some interesting, beautiful sky that someone has sent in from around the world. And the paragraph might be an explanation of why the cloud looks like that. Or it could be a quotation. It could be a detail from a painting. This cloud a day email is one of the things you get when you become a member of the society. And I think it's like a tap on the shoulder, a daily reminder of um, you, the fact that you might want to, as the day progresses, take a moment to engage with the sky at some point. Um, so, you know, I think of the society as a tap on the shoulder really to us all, which is a tap on the shoulder to appreciate, um, pay attention to and value this ever present part of nature that it's so easy to miss. Absolutely, I totally agree. And thank you so much for such an, such an inspiring talk. I'm sure the listeners will be grateful for such a wonderful and enlightening episode. Um, thank you so much. Great to speak to you, Mary. Bye. Don't forget the worldwide event on Friday, September the 16th, 2022, Cloud Appreciation Day when the Cloud Appreciation Society will be launching a memory cloud atlas onto which everyone, anywhere, will be able to post an image of their sky, locate themselves on a map and share with the world how they feel about the sky and the clouds. Go to the website to find out how to participate. News from the Borough Nature Sanctuary is that we are now closed to the general public in the weekdays, but very big walks and our Airbnb room are available to book every day. A verse of a poem sent to me by my brother Tom, Adelstrop by Edward Thomas. And willows, willow herb and grass and meadow sweet and haycocks dry, no whit less still and lonely fair than the high cloudlets in the sky. Listen in to Tom and Jamie's fascinating podcast, Bloody, violent history.